It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who are probably still going to get COVID tests even if they're asymptomatic and have been exposed. Mm-hmm. Or who are going to do tests on people who are asymptomatic if they've been exposed. Right on. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway. My name is Karen Ernst and I'm the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstrom, a general pediatrician here in, at Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. And it is the end of National Immunization Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. This episode, at the end, we have a fun interview with a listener whose story is actually very fascinating. She has an immunocompromised child, and uh, she still was willing to play along with me with a goofy game after telling her incredibly important story. So we're all things to all people. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, you actually have not heard it. Uh, It was just the two mm -hmm. of us. Yep. It's exciting to listen to a new uh, episode of Vax Talk. It's actually new to me. The fun part was when we got done, she said, it's just like listening to the podcast. You're exactly the same. I'm like, yeah, I mean, we're just talking to all of our friends out there. So, hi. (laughs) (laughs) No different. Yeah. So that's super fun. But before we do that, I'm sure that we have a lot of webbing to go around in our around the web. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to go first. Yeah, go to it. Because I'm afraid you're going to take mine. Oh, well, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> I don't have a backup. That's true. What am I going to do if you take mine? We'll just talk about it twice. Okay. Uh, big news. Since our last episode, our friend Del Bigtree was thrown off of YouTube. Oh, yeah, I did hear that. That is not what I was... But mine is also good news. So this is like two pieces of good news, which is great. Tell us about what happened. He was making a lot of false COVID claims. Mm -hmm. So making vaccine claims that are false, A-OK by YouTube. By YouTube, yeah. But then he ventured into the COVID claims and they threw him down. And I'm just looking at his Facebook page. He's still on Facebook and does Facebook Live episodes. But I noticed that they are all being marked as false information, which is okay. I'd I'd like to see him get deplatformed from Facebook as well. Yeah, we'd all be safer. Indeed. Uh, So that is really good news. And I'm happy about that. He is, <laughs> he is unhappy about that. Yesterday, as we're recording this, yesterday was an emergency ACIP meeting. They've been uh-huh. having monthly emergency meetings all summer to talk about COVID vaccine development. Mm-hmm. Again, those are free to the public. Um, even when they're not emergency meetings, you can always live stream them. It's very mm-hmm. transparent. Yep. But... Part of what happens at ACIP is public comment. Mm-hmm. Public comment used to be very boring. Um, it used to be one or two people would get up and say, hey, you're talking about this vaccine. Um, I'm a scientist. Here's some sciencey stuff I know that I want you to consider. Mm-hmm. And people would say, okay, well, thank you. And then life would go on. But it has turned into... 
Anti-vax theater. Exactly. Anti-vax theater. And so it's much more so when it's the live, I was going to say live episodes, live meetings of ACIP. Mm-hmm. Because the anti-vaccine folks like to travel to Atlanta. They kind of make, um, it's sort of a like a little convention for them. Uh, to be fair, it's sort of like a little convention for pro-vaccine people mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And they film each other giving public comments. And during these live meetings, they tend to really dominate the public comment section. A difference is during the virtual meetings that they've been having because of COVID, the pro-vaccine comments have far outnumbered the anti-vaccine comments. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, irks them. But it makes sense because a lot of people who would make pro-vaccine comments are people who can't get to ACIP because they work. People like sure. you, Dr. Boonstra. Right, right, right. <laughs> but yesterday was Del Tree won a slot in the lottery to give a comment. Oh, but did he really? Because my understanding is, isn't this how it works? They People sign up for slots, but then they give their slots to somebody? Is that You can't sound? do that anymore. Oh, okay. So he actually independently won a slot just by chance? Or how did that? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's just a thing that happens. Um, Dorit won a slot two two meetings in a row. Mm -hmm. So I did not apply for a slot because I knew I wasn't going to be available during the public comment time, and I didn't want to mess with that. But so Dell had a spot, and he gave a comment, um, and you could tell he's he's fired up. He's angry at this point. I don't think he likes being deplatformed. He's <laughs> apparently spending all sorts of money to get a live feed going on his own website, um, which I can't even imagine how time-consuming and tech-consuming and how expensive that is. But, you know, to recreate basically your own YouTube channel privately. But he's doing that, and uh, as I said, he's 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 angry <laughs> about that. And there's lots of talk. Anti-vaxxers feel like they are being censored, that their First Amendment rights are being trampled upon. Um, and they're and they're saying this publicly in comment at ACIP that they are able to do that they got slots for and well, were not denied. <laughs> right? They are. They are. <laughs> complaining a lot about you know being censored but yeah. Dell's comments were interesting because he was upset I mean it, it was kind of a little rambly but he sure. was upset that there might be vaccine enhanced disease from the Moderna mRNA vaccine for mm-hmm. COVID if he had been listening to J- July's meeting or June's meeting he would have heard all sorts of interesting science about how the indications are that there won't be vaccine-enhanced disease. And just for our listeners to explain that, vaccine-enhanced disease means very rarely with some vaccines. I mean, like the dengue vaccine. Um, and there was an old RSV vaccine, I think, like in the 70s or something. Mm-hmm you get the vaccine and then when you're exposed to the disease instead of preventing it you actually get a worse case than if you had never been vaccinated so obviously not what we want vaccines to do and vaccine makers uh obviously want to avoid doing that because that's you know especially a a little startup like moderna 
Um, yeah. <laughs> that would be the Seems end of Moderna. Business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, his, his comment was on that. And, you know, I'm doing my own rambly thing, but it's just sort of interesting that he has been spewing this misinformation about vaccines. He chances upon COVID misinformation, gets deplatformed from YouTube, and then mm-hmm. goes to ACIP, tells them what the science should be when he clearly hasn't been <laughs> tuning in. And I just, it, I just had one of those moments listening to it yesterday when I thought to myself, the amount of chutzpah you must have to think so highly of yourself, to be, you know, as he calls himself, an Emmy-winning television producer. <laughs> that you're going... Who no one outside of anti-vaccine circles has ever heard of, but yes. <laughs> right. To go to a group of scientists and tell them what the science is when, dude, mm. catch up. We talked about this two meetings ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, he needs to be deplatformed. I have no say in how that's done. If you're an anti-vaccine person, hate listening to this right now. I I don't even know how to make that happen. I am <laughs> not actually all powerful, um, but it needs to happen. We need Facebook and YouTube to deplatform a heck of a lot more misinformation because it is ruining us from the inside. We can watch in real time as our fellow citizens get sick and die around us because of misinformation and -hmm. because of the refusal to do something to help other people, something simple like vaccinating your kids or wearing a mask or, you know, not going to a huge bicycle or not bicycle not going to a huge motorcycle festival Uh four states away (laughs) it's eating us from the inside and so i am just de-platform 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 that's my take-home point on all this we got one platform away from del big tree we need to get lots more away from all of them however that happens i don't know somebody write to me info at voicesforvaccines.org tell me how that happens and let's do it yeah and it's worth bringing up the obligatory statement that we have always made that when we talk about this you know we're really talking about private platforms here we're not talking about true suppression of somebody's freedom of speech in the sense that they are welcome to speak all they want but other platforms do not need there there is not their responsibility to carry and be their megaphone for this so i agree with you i'm all in favor of um these companies facebook twitter youtube etc etc deplatforming people that are spreading dangerous misinformation and i was in favor of that before covid because anti-vaccine misinformation is dangerous misinformation people die because of that maybe not as quickly as is happening with covid but that still is a public health threat it's a threat to kids it's a threat to people who are vulnerable to these diseases um and Absolutely. So, yep, if we could just crack that, that would be fantastic because it, it seems to be a big deal. And, and I also want to point out, as we often do, that I do think that people should get to ask real actual questions that they mm-hmm. have about vaccines. Yeah. If someone has a real actual question, I will explain the same question to a million people 
over and over and over again. I, I, and this is part of what I think the harm of the anti-vaccine movement is, is that they have so crowded out the space with just, you know, grifting and misinformation and disinformation and scams that when a parent is just wondering, I'm just wondering, can someone yeah. explain to me how an RNA vaccine isn't going to make the disease worse for me? Mm -hmm. That's a question that deserves to be answered. But now we've yep. got Dell on it. So yeah. if anyone actually has that question, he's taken that ground and we're all going to fight over it. Just just like the Russians want us to. Oh, my gosh. I feel like it's <laughs> the 1980s. Well, let me segue into some even better news because... It turns out that actually two dangerous things have been deplatformed recently, and one of them is Del Big Tree in, in the venue of YouTube, and one of them is poliovirus in the venue of Africa. So on August 25th, just a couple of days before recording this, um, the continent of Africa and, and the region, the WHO African region, is certified wild polio free after four years without an uh without a circulating case so five of the six who regions 90 percent of the world is now free of wild polio virus there's just two countries that continue to see transmission of polio virus those are pakistan and afghanistan but we are one step closer to eradicating polio from uh the globe and that is you know there have been a lot of challenges in terms of public health this year including um you know vaccine programs and whatnot but that's where africa is right now so congratulations that is I, I i'm so excited for the day that polio is eradicated from the globe and to be able to take one more country and one more continent off that list is uh something to celebrate totally completely <laughs> i mean that's actually better news than del big tree getting right polio worse than del big tree right and getting bye -bye. platform from africa yeah. Love it. Let's yep. let's deplatform polio from the planet. <laughs> yep. I don't have much else to say about it except uh, you know as we've talked about before these um global um vaccination programs are going are already facing and will continue to face a lot of barriers in the setting of mm -hmm. COVID-19. So if there's a way that you can uh look into and support them, please do so. Um it's an extremely important cause to eliminate polio mm -hmm. from the planet as well as, you know, continue to work towards elimination of diseases like measles. Right. You know, first of all, vaccinating your own children against polio helps eradicate polio from mm. the planet. You're doing your own little part just by doing that. Vaccinating really is a form of advocacy in and of itself. The other thing to think about is how much work went into those eradication efforts that people, mm -hmm. you know, had to by foot walk from village to village with polio vaccines, finding children, vaccinating them, sometimes, especially in places like Nigeria, which was the last holdout in mm -hmm. Africa, under threats from, you know, the from Al Qaeda and from other terrorist organizations. And they, you know, people have died trying to eradicate polio. So it's it's not yeah. nothing. There are real heroes of public health whose mm -hmm. names we don't know who've died to get rid of this disease. And 
they are incredible and they are certainly worth um, thinking about on this especially joyous occasion uh, and we all needed some good public health news didn't we Absolutely. One place you can visit to find out more info about how you might be able to contribute is polioeradication.org. So, yeah. The other one I go to is endpolio.org. Yeah. I think that's the rotary one. And I think Mm -hmm. this one is WHO, maybe looking at it. Yeah. Well, it's a joint effort by various groups. So. And I'll just plug Rotary. When I always think about Amy Pisani from Vaccinate Your Family, who is a huge Rotary advocate. Mm-hmm. But if you're a you know young professional and you're interested in vaccines, getting involved in your local Rotary has so many benefits. And one of them is you get to work on polio eradication. Cool. I gain nothing from <laughs> telling you to join a local Rotary. Literally zero things come to me. On behalf of it, I just think it's a really great organization and actually can i just um i have a little personal news i want to share if i can pivot to that go ahead pivot away all right i thought for sure you're going to do a ross geller but not today so the thing that i think of when i think of pivot is actually kate mckinnon um and her impression of hillary clinton where she's at a debate and says something i can't remember what the exact context was but she goes and that is how we pivot (laughs) that's what i think of not not the pivot pivot ross geller thing all right with the couch that's fair (laughs) i was able to speaking of kate mckinnon (laughs) have a really lovely discussion with my new best friend Chelsea Kate Clinton. McKinnon? No. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Go Chelsea, ahead. Chelsea Clinton um, invited me and the aforementioned um, Amy Pisani and yeah. Ju- Judy Klein from the Unity Consortium that works with adolescents on adolescent um, health. And we had this lovely discussion that I will put in the show notes about how to add or how to tamp down misinformation during the pandemic focused on vaccine misinformation and thinking in particular about COVID vaccines. So it was a lovely discussion. Um, No matter what your politics are, Chelsea Clinton is a lovely human being who knows so much about public health because she has a PhD in public health. So she was... (laughs) My jealousy meter is off the charts, Karen. (laughs) Oh my goodness. She's just so lovely. And everyone that works with her, that you can just tell they love their job. Yeah. They, they, you know, her assistant told me that, you know, if you mention vaccines, she will just talk on and on and on about vaccines. She's a huge vaccine advocate. And I'm working on getting her on this podcast. So she's going to be your good friend, too. Sweet. Okay. Now my excitement meter is off the charts. This is so exciting. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's truly. (laughs) Work hard, Karen, work hard. (laughs) I know you're a hard worker. I am a hard worker. You've got this. And so that's just sort of um, my thing. I don't know. Did you get to see the the panel discussion yet that we had? No, I think I was unaware of this. This is new information to me. Or maybe I wasn't aware of, like I was vaguely aware of a panel, but I didn't realize that it's this yeah it was that it it went great um the great thing about someone like chelsea clinton 
hosting this kind of panel and being involved in vaccines is that she hosted this panel. A lot of it was centered on the Clinton Global Initiative University, which is a program where they work with, you know, students who Mm -hmm. are, you know, working on some sort of initiative. These students were making apps. Um, the, The, you know, student who won the award made an app it's a COVID-19 misinformation app where you can literally go on the app and like look up like what is the truth about COVID and misinformation I'll, I'll put that link in the show notes too because it's pretty fantastic so she she reaches all of these people um but then she also had an interview with CNN on the topic so the more we've got people who have this important reach and are well-informed like Chelsea Clinton. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are plenty of people from all walks of life who can be well-informed. The more that we're broadening this conversation. And I'm really hoping that our listeners can help us find ways to broaden conversations um, with folks who have platforms and are, um, great on talking about vaccines it kind of you know the the other person i always think of who's really great about this is our friend keith law from mm-hmm. espn yep super smart dude that was a fun interview oh that's one of my favorite interviews we had was with keith law because he just was able to explain the statistics so well because he's mm-hmm. used to doing it to that kind of an audience so you know if if you think you know someone you know uh Send them to us. Twitter is a good place to send folks like that to us. So kind of all over the place this uh, this fine day. but uh, That is three pieces of good news. So this is really a great day. It is. And then we're going to, after the break, we're going to talk to Amy Stewart, who is a loyal Fax Talk listener, just like you. And, <laughs> and you. And, and you and you and you. <laughs> and she's uh, going to w- uh, try to win a game that I've set up from her for her, identifying which quotes about vaccines are real and which are fake. Okay, can't wait to hear it. Okay. Stay tuned. We are joined today by Amy Stewart, who is a Voices for Vaccines super fan, and was the winner of the "Would You Like to Be on Our Podcast." Uh, request i'm not even going to call it a a contest it was just i threw it out there a few people said this is why i want to be on the podcast and amy sounded interesting so i really wanted to talk to her so welcome amy thank you that might be the first time i've been called interesting so i'll take it thank you hey glad to be here (laughs) yeah my kids think i'm super boring so i understand yeah So, Amy, your story really is interesting, and vaccines are super important to your family. Can you explain a little bit about why you are such a fervent believer in immunization? Absolutely. Um, First of all, I was never not a believer. I was raised by two science-loving parents. Um, You know, as kids, we always had our vaccines on time, always got flu vaccines. You know, there was never a time in my life where I wasn't. Uh, it was just what you did. And um, then a little over 11 years ago, my son, who was six months old at the time, was diagnosed with dilated cardiomyopathy, which is basically an enlargement of his heart. And after several courses of, of medicine and other uh, 
other strategies that didn't work. It was determined by his doctors that he needed a heart transplant. So um, he was six and a half months old at the time when he was listed for a heart transplant. Mm -hmm. And as of this recording, today we are one day away from the 11th anniversary of his heart transplant. So um, we've spent 11 years um, struggling, celebrating, uh, living life, you know, with our focus on keeping him healthy. And the transplant itself is the reason why I am so over-the-top pro-vaccine. Um, he cannot have any live virus injections uh, due to his immunosuppressants. His body would basically treat it as a foreign invader, would treat the vaccine as a foreign invader, and he could go into rejection. So the doctors gave him every vaccine they possibly could uh, prior to his transplant, but he was only uh, eight months old at the time of transplant. So there were a lot of vaccines he didn't get, a lot of boosters he didn't get. So, you know, raising a child that's immunocompromised who's already so susceptible to even the common cold um, and then also knowing that he's, he can never be fully vaccinated against everything makes me even more of a, a proponent of herd immunity and the need for everybody around us to be vaccinated. Uh, so I'm very vocal about it. I just speak out about it. Uh, I Every time I go to the doctor, I say, am I for any kind of vaccine? Because I am just the most pro-vaccine person ever. And, and you know, 99.9% .9 of that comes from the desire to keep my son healthy and alive. That story is more common than people might realize. Modern medicine has really done some amazing things as far as being able to treat our, our kiddos and, yeah. you know, heart transplants and all sorts of different uh, soft organ transplants are super common. And I shouldn't say are super common. They are more common than people think. And I'm always grateful to parents and loved ones who explain why vaccines are such an important part of being a transplant family. And a lot of it, too, is honoring the gift of the organ. Uh, we know who the, we know, uh, the name of the donor, and we know the story behind the, the donation. And so we, we want to live every day to honor this gift. And the best way we can honor the gift that we were given, a second chance of his life, what is to you know, keep him healthy, do everything we can to keep those around him healthy, let him have a long, happy life, um, and honor, I mean, being able to receive a donation, organ donation is a gift. So many people die. I want to say, uh, I forget the most recent statistic, maybe seven or eight people a day die every day uh, waiting on an organ transplant. So when you get one, you are extremely lucky, especially when the recipient is a baby. And I just love your philosophy on that. And I hope that we can all honor that gift by getting ourselves vaccinated and creating a cocoon of protection around the people we don't even know around us who need it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I've got um, a cousin in my family who received a double lung transplant. I have a dear friend that lives in my city with me who's received a uh, liver transplant and two kidney transplants uh, very recently, earlier this year. So, you know, there's people everywhere, and, and sometimes you might even know it, but if, if you're immunized, then you could be, you know, saving who knows how many people that you don't even know. So, yeah, it, it is more common than people think. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing that with us. I promised you something a little bit fun to go along with your showing up, and that is a little game. Yay. And 
are you ready for this? I am <laughs> as ready as I can be. <laughs> Which is, you can't be ready for this. Exactly. Um, yeah, I can throw anything at me. <laughs> so today we are, or I should say I am, because I'm doing this without poor Nathan. I am going to throw some quotes at you, three quotes at a time. Oh. One is real, two are fake. We've got three sets of three, so you have to choose the correct one in each set. Do I get an extra point if I, if I uh, can name who said it? Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a try. I'll do my best. Hopefully, might get it's, one right. It's a made-up game, so we might as well, right? Are you ready? I am ready. Yes, ma'am. Here we go. First quote. Once the herd accepts mandatory vaccinations, it's game over. They will accept anything, forcible blood or organ donations for the greater good. We can genetically modify children for the greater good, control sheep mines, and you control the herd. Vaccine makers stand to make billions, and many of you in this room are investors. It's a big win-win. We thin out the herd, and the herd pays us for extermination services. So that's quote number one. Okay. Quote number two. If I had known how many of these dinners I'd have to address, I would have developed some sort of vaccine against them. Okay. And quote number three. As soon as the COVID-19 vaccine is manufactured, it must be delivered to healthcare professionals for immediate human injection. Proper studies can be done later. So which one is the real one? Is it the uh, forcible injection sheep one? The uh, vaccine against dinners? Or the delivering the COVID-19 vaccine as soon as it's ready? The first one is so outrageous that I'm going to say someone probably said that. So I'm going to go with the number one. Are you sure that's the one you want to go with? Yes. You're going with the first one. Sure, I don't mind being wrong. <laughs> and you are wrong, unfortunately. So that first one is an often misattributed quote to Henry Kissinger. It's something he never actually said, but for some reason it keeps getting passed around. And probably because it sounds like something somebody would say because it's so outrageous, right? Yes, that's that's that. That's what I thought. The real one is, if I had only known how many of these dinners I'd have to address, I would have developed some sort of vaccine against them. Oh. For a makeup point, you want to guess who said that? Hmm. Let me see. Uh, these dinners I'd have to address. Um, I'm guessing it was a president because they have to do so many presidential dinners. I'm going to go with Donald Trump. Oh, nope, you're way off. It was actually Jonas Salk. <gasps> Jonas, oh my goodness. Yeah, well, that, that makes sense because he actually could develop a vaccine and not Trump. So, Oh, man. The COVID-19 vaccine is one, the, that quote is often misattributed to Tony Fauci. He never said that. He actually said that distribution and administration of a vaccine would only occur if the cl clinical trials show that it in fact, is effective and safe. Absolutely. I, 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 
100% know Fauci would never say anything like that. And um, I'm proud to say that I am actually part of uh, one of the clinical vaccines. So I, I know that they're working very hard to gather as much data as possible to give us a safe vaccine. That is amazing. Thank you for taking part in that trial. It's wonderful. It was, it was my pleasure. I was so happy to sign up as soon as I saw the opportunity here. Alrighty, so we've got our second set of quotes. Are you ready? I'm ready, I think. The vaccine will no doubt kill 700,000 people. Okay. The second quote is, all that we are is the result of all that we have been vaccinated against. And the third quote is, I lost one of my sons, a fine boy of four years old, by the smallpox taken in the common way. I long regretted it bitterly and still regret that I have not given it to him by inoculation. This I mentioned for the sake of parents who admit that operation on the supposition that they should never forgive themselves if a child died under it. My example showing that the regret may be the same either way and that therefore the safer should be chosen. So which one? Is it the 700,000 people killed? Is it that we are the result of all that we're vaccinated against? Or is it that I have long regretted not vaccinating my child? I believe it's the third. And I also believe that it was one of the Roosevelt's who said it. I believe one of the presidential Roosevelt's lost child of smallpox. You know, you're close, but you need to go a little further back in history. Okay. Um, gosh, I read about this. I remember it was a U.S. president that lost a child of smallpox. I think it was the 1800s. It was not a president, but it was a founding father. Uh, oh, Benjamin Franklin. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you got it. I knew. Ooh, I, I, I remember reading about, yep, Benjamin Franklin. It wasn't around my where I got Roosevelt from, but I do remember uh, in the 1800s before Edward Jenner had the vaccine. Um I do remember we had a had a famous person lose a child of smallpox. Yes, and actually a lot of our presidents had families affected by vaccine-preventable diseases, and many did lose children, and that was why so many of the founding fathers were pro-vaccine. And that's probably why I got it confused with uh, Roosevelt because of polio. So there you go. It makes sense to me. Okay, third round. This is it. This is your make or break round. Okay. I don't know what you're making or breaking, but this is it. I don't know either, but it, this is for all the, all the vaccines in the world. Here we go. <laughs> Option one. The only safe vaccine is a vaccine that is never used. Option two. Measles is a self-limiting infection of short duration, moderate severity, and low fatality. Oops. And option three, babies can tolerate 10,000 vaccines at once. So of those three choices, which one is the real one? No vaccine is safe, measles is self-limiting, or you can give babies 10,000 vaccines at once. Wow, I am teetering between one and two, uh, and I'm going to go given the rabidness of our anti-vax movements currently underway i'm going to say it's number one uh that was a trick question <laughs> they're all technically 
real quotes, but they are either taken out of context or have been changed. So oh, context is everything. So, so you get the point. Ah, yay! But, <laughs> but the uh, the first one, the only safe, safe vaccine is a vaccine that is never used, was actually uh, Dr. James Shannon from the National Institute of Health. This is back in 1955. They were asking him, of course, about the polio vaccine. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to know if it was 100% safe. And his answer is that, I would like to comment that, yes. I would like to say first that there is no such thing, sir, as maximum safety. The only wholly safe vaccine is a vaccine which is never used. So vaccines are not 100% safe because there's always risk. Mm-hmm. You know, the second quote was from Dr. Alexander Langmuir, who is the former head of the CDC. And what he actually said, now this one's long, so this is why they took it all out of context, right? Yeah. This self-limiting infection of short duration, moderate severity, and low fatality has maintained a remarkably stable biological balance over centuries. Those epidemiologists, and there are many, who tend to revere the biological balance have long argued that the ecological equilibrium of measles is solidly based, and that it cannot be readily disrupted, and that therefore we must learn to live with this parasite rather than hope to eradicate it. This speaker not long ago was counted among this this group and waxed eloquent on the subject in print. Happily, this era is ending. New and potent tools that promise effective control of measles are at hand. If properly developed and wisely used, it should be possible to disrupt the biological balance of measles. Its eradication from large continental land masses such as North America and many other parts of the world can be anticipated soon. So, um, yeah, he said that, but he also said, we can get rid of it. So let's do that. Exactly. Why even try to live with it? Yep. And then the last one is something that probably many of our listeners uh, have heard before. The claim that Paul Offit said that babies can tolerate 10,000 vaccines at oh. once. Oh. Does this accommodate a very graphic looking meme that tends <laughs> to go around on social media? <laughs> I do believe so. Yes, you've seen that. I have seen that the baby, the, the baby doll with 10,000 needles sticking out of it or something like that. Yeah, I have seen that. So here's the problem with science, and that's that a simple lie is easier to remember than a nuanced truth. So here is the nuanced truth of what Dr. Offit actually said. A more practical way to determine the diversity of the immune response would be to estimate the number of vaccines to which a child could respond at one time. If we assume that one, approximately 10 nanograms per milliliter of antibody is likely to be effective concentration of antibody per epitope, an immunologically distinct region of a protein or polysaccharide, Two, the generation of 10 nanograms per milliliter requires approximately 103 B cells per milliliter. 
Three, a single B-cell clone takes about one week to reach 103 progeny B-cells required to secrete 10 nanograms per milliliter of antibody, therefore vaccine epitope-specific immune response found. Therefore, vaccine epitope-specific immune responses found about one week after immunization can be generated initially from a single B-cell clone per milliliter. Okay, it goes on. Basically, <laughs> dot, 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 approximately 107 B cells are present per milliliter of circulating blood. Then each inf infant would have the theoretical capacity to respond to about 10,000 vaccines at any one time. Wow. <sighs> Highly taken out of context. <laughs> right. Somehow that became give our babies 10,000 vaccines at once. Well, fortunately for that last set, those came from my friend, Dr. Vince Ianelli at Vaxipedia.org, and I will put those in the show notes for everybody so that you can have that readily available to you if you ever want to debunk that particular claim. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a lot of fun getting to meet you and to play this game with you. Is there any word of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with? Yes, and it's something kind of um, to go with the times that we're in. Uh, I've seen loved ones on respirators, and I've seen, um, I've, I've known now personally one person to die from coronavirus, and yeah, while every case probably can't be prevented because of spread, I know that people are working very hard on effective vaccines. Tens of thousands of people are in phase three trials for coronavirus vaccines. We don't know what the future holds, but once there are some vaccines that are out there that have passed trials that have gotten FDA approval, please get vaccinated for everybody. We want to go back to our normal lives or as normal as possible. And I would just encourage everybody, we're going to need to get some sort of herd immunity to get this under control. And I'll just encourage everybody, once there's a safe, effective vaccine, please get it. Please do it for my son, for everybody who's immunocompromised, who has pre-existing conditions, who is elderly. If we want to get our, our lives back to normal, we're going to need this vaccine and we're going to need people to actually get it. I co-sign that, and I want to sincerely thank you for taking part in the clinical trial and for showing up here today. I guess thank you. I know we've had some uh, scheduling issues, but I'm so glad to, to be able to do this and to take part. This has been so much fun. And thank you to all of you for listening in. It was great having you today. My name is Karen Ernst, and I'm the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra, General Pediatrician at Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. You can find me on Twitter at PedsGeekMD or on Facebook or on my blog, PedsGeekMD.com. I forgot to say you could find Voices for Vaccines at VoicesForVaccines.org. So. That too. That too. All right. There we go. Podcast out. Bye. <laughs>